This is Portraits of a New Normal, a series of podcasts from Annenberg Radio News about how we're coping with our new realities during the pandemic. I'm Ayana White. I'm Celine Mendiola. And I'm Sam Fian. On this show, we'll be hearing from thrift store heroes, an immunocompromised inmate, and forward-thinking jazz musicians. First, though, we'll be looking at a problem that's only gotten worse during the pandemic, food insecurity and hunger. I remember the pre-pandemic food bank lines, they were already pretty severe. Yeah, definitely. Plus, it's hard to imagine how they were able to operate under all of California's health and safety restrictions. According to a study by Columbia University, millions of Americans fell below the poverty line during the pandemic. With numbers like that, food banks became even more important than they already were. Reporter Natalie Joseph talked to directors of food distribution in Los Angeles about their plans for fighting hunger in 2021 after such a devastating year. Richard Ayub, director of Project Angel Food in Los Angeles, helped distribute meals outside of his facility for Thanksgiving last year, with a few new additions, masks and social distancing. This is very different. We're actually delivering the meals to the vehicles. We're going to have 200 people out and about doing meals for us. Since his organization targets older Angelinos and those with underlying health conditions, they had to figure out a way to get them their meals without putting them at risk. 2020 turned our world upside down. We had to do more in a shorter time and we didn't have the luxury of slowing down or shutting down. Richard put up plexiglass at every station and reworked their entire AC system for better air filtration. To minimize the risk of exposure, he also released all 200 of his volunteers. We hired nine out-of-work restaurant chefs to help us. And so we're taking on that added cost. We did 40% more meals last year with fewer people because they were professionals. So our efficiency went up. But Richard wasn't the only director having to accommodate for the steep increase of food insecure Angelinos. Eli Weitzer has worked for Jewish Family Service LA for over a decade, but never before had he seen the level of food insecurity caused by the pandemic. We certainly are seeing people who in the past wouldn't have come to a food pantry, wouldn't have needed to come to a food pantry, um, in need of food, absolutely. But I will say that the notion of food insecurity may be misunderstood because it's not only the unemployed poor families that are food insecure, even before the pandemic. Eli said that food insecurity in L.A. remains a serious problem, especially with the city's high living costs. And certainly in L.A. County, the cost of of housing, of rents and other costs, many families who may have one or two working adults are still in need of food support by the end of the month. Since the pandemic hit, we initially saw about a 40-something increase in need. Barbara Javits works for the North Hollywood Interfaith Food Pantry and said she faced the same demand. Soon after the pandemic started, she had to let go all of her volunteers, since most of them are older and could no longer safely help out. The lack of the volunteers is a constant challenge because food distribution is physical, it's manual. With the obstacles piling up and fast, they had to figure out a way to reach Angelinos most in need. Eli Weitzer added food delivery to Jewish Family Service LA's already long list of social services. So we're actually delivering now to about 1,200 households, and those deliveries are primarily for older adults and disabled individuals throughout Los Angeles. Barbara took a completely different approach and hired all new volunteers to help with their new pickup system. So we've been fortunate in that we've been able to recruit two different new groups of volunteers. And it's been people who are working from home, people that have more of a flexible schedule, and people who are younger. We've become a 100% drive-through model. They drive in front of the pantry, they pop open their trunk, they get the appropriate either cooking or non-cooking bag, and off they go. Eli says his organization also helps fight the causes of food insecurity by enrolling his patrons in government programs and providing counseling services for families. Working with trained staff on benefit enrollment, we can actually help appeal decisions. We can make sure that people actually get access to the benefits that are there for them, which goes to the whole goal of of sort of income support to enable people to make it through the pandemic. The decline of COVID-19 won't mark the end of food insecurity in Los Angeles. 
Directors like Barbara say they've made valuable changes to their services that will last long after 2020. So we've, we've decided to keep our drive through model forever and never go back to walking inside because it's very efficient and it works. Eli says that he's prepared for the food insecurity caused by the pandemic to last into the coming years, as it did after the Great Recession ended. Amidst the chaos of the past year, Eli managed to find silver linings. And I think if the result of all of this is that we end up with a stronger community and a more caring community and a more tolerant community, that that would be fantastic. At least a million Americans are expected to be lifted out of poverty with the passage of the Biden administration's nearly $2 trillion relief package. But directors like Barbara, Richard, and Eli know that the real work happens on the ground. And for Richard, whose organization was founded to deliver meals during the AIDS epidemic, tough times are when it's most important to help your fellow human being. Here we are, another pandemic. We truly feel we were born for this moment. And he and his team will continue to hand out meals one at a time to alleviate Los Angeles' suffering. For Annenberg Media, I'm Natalie Joseph. It's not just nonprofits trying to make a difference, though. The pandemic has brought social entrepreneurship and its importance to light. It's a branch of business focused on helping others. Noah Somphone spoke to USC students about how businesses can work together with communities. Christine Faseha always loved entrepreneurship, especially at home in Uganda. But during the pandemic, she realized that COVID showed a much greater need for a different type of entrepreneurship, social impact. I think COVID, the biggest thing that it showed, especially the discrepancy here in African countries, is the big importance on helping people and teaching people versus just giving people. Faseha noticed that people relied on the donations they were given. COVID took all of that away. A lot of people had to leave the country, you know, traveling stopped and everything. So that essentially stopped the different um, distribution channels that like people were giving stuff to organizations here. So a lot of like people in poverty, a lot of organizations, a lot of like local schools were all left dry. Just giving resources to people is a big problem. Faseha thinks that social entrepreneurship is so much more. There's this big emphasis on when it comes to social impact, there's this really big emphasis on just giving rather than teaching people to help themselves because in the long run, that's the only thing that's actually going to help people change and actually be a better person and, you know, fend for themselves. This isn't the only problem that COVID showed Faseha. When the pandemic sent everyone into quarantine, some people around her didn't have laptops and couldn't access Zoom. Going to school, for example, like kids, some kids were going to school over the radio here and that just like it didn't work because they didn't have their resources for a laptop. They didn't know how to use a laptop. So eventually they didn't go to school. And, you know, that's going to have like grave long term disadvantages to the country, to this country and to other African countries. Kevin Liu is a junior who is an entrepreneurship club with Faseha. He sees these problems, too. There is a there's this ongoing movement of like digital transformation and the digital divide that's being like put in place due to so many of the inequities that was caused by COVID-19 because of the fact that we all had to like stay at home and we all, all had to like work online. Lou works at Troy Camp, a mentoring and tutoring club for kids in South Los Angeles. Some of these kids live in communities without access to resources that most students rely on. Some people don't even have access to Zoom. Some school districts don't have access to Zoom or all these materials. I think the COVID-19 pandemic has just made it a great, for me personally, has made it even like more important to just like, I guess, work towards like solving these inequities using entrepreneurship and like, I guess, using a, using a business means to like solve it. Lou took on these challenges and co-founded a startup called Rally, a social media platform that lets users connect with issues they care about. Even though he started it two years ago, the pandemic has dramatically transformed his team's approach. Like the way that we create social impact and the way that we do that in our day-to-day lives is not necessarily monetary based, but more values based. And so right now we're actually in the process of like pivoting more towards making it more of a community platform and not focusing on just donations, but also focusing on like the actual conversations and discussions within social impact and how that can like, like, you know, propel students to like do other kinds of like specific actions within the field. Basically helping students to like understand that, like that social impact and social entrepreneurship can be embedded in their day-to-day lives. 
Lou wants corporations to focus more on social impact because it helps make the world a better place. And they should be able to understand that, like, that social impact is like, it has to be part of their bottom line now. I think that's kind of like where the future is heading right now, at least in the near future. But in the, like, you know, five to 10 years, like this could drastically change. Faseha agrees. Um, social impact shouldn't just be something you know you check off like oh we donated this much like obviously that's really good helping in financial any way possible but finding a way to um, be on the ground and teach viable like life skills financial literacy like those kind of skills really helps people gain more social um, economic skills and just be more a part of society at the end of the day social impact isn't just pouring money into communities it's helping people, one step at a time. For Annenberg Media, I'm Noah Sampon. All the best entrepreneurship starts with a good idea. As we sat around in isolation, one college student saw an opportunity in spare clothes lying around the house. What started as just a hobby quickly grew into a thriving shop. This is Eddie Sun's story on finding opportunity during the pandemic and creating human connections despite the distance. Gabby Oberis Padre is a student studying business at UC Santa Cruz. She is one of a growing number of young people using Depop. It's about finding something different. I like vintage that's like actually vintage. Secondhand is just better. <laughs> that t-shirt there was from like in 87, that, that gig. Depop is an online marketplace like eBay, but just for clothes. Two months into the COVID-19 shutdown, Gabby started putting spare clothes around her house up for sale. My, my grandparents are like hoarders practically and they have so much they, they have so much uh, vintage clothing that I wanted to resell it to um, make money for college even the clothes hidden deep in the closet had value vintage Victoria's Secret from like the 70s and 80s I didn't realize how much it was going for never mind the idea of dealing with your grandparents Victoria's Secret lingerie her shop took off instantly now she's a verified Depop top seller, and her store has more than 13,000 followers. And then once I got verified on Depop, that's when I like got into the whole entire like world of secondhand selling. To keep up with the shop's success, Gabby has devoted much of her time to running it. She transformed the basement of her home into a workstation with clothing racks, a packaging station, and a backdrop for modeling. According to a report from the online consignment store ThreadUp, Gen Z shoppers are buying secondhand clothes more than any other age group, Mobile secondhand marketplaces like Depop and Grailed make shopping for clothes easier, especially during the pandemic. People are just, they're, they're on their phones. They want to kill time. So going on apps like, you know, Depop, Poshmark, eBay, any of these places that do have a lot of vintage and secondhand items, that that's becoming more popular. Aside from convenience, secondhand fashion is also in vogue. Yeah, I think nostalgia is definitely a huge thing. That's Toby Ogunyankin. He's on the e-board of USC's Fashion Industry Association, a student organization that connects fashion-minded students with industry professionals. A lot of our styles right now, um, for example, like streetwear, there's like this the whole archive movement where, where people really want stuff that was made in the 90s or even like the 2000. Secondhand clothing is more than just throwback styles. It offers a more sustainable alternative to fashion in a notoriously damaging industry. Studies have shown that the fashion sector accounted for 4% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. Much of that is caused by fast fashion, where inexpensive clothes are mass-produced, worn for a bit, and thrown away. When you look at the fashion industry right now, it's very unsustainable. It's one of the biggest contributors to um, climate change and waste. And we're, we live in a society that's getting much more progressive, but fashion hasn't really caught up to that. So I think secondhand fashion, um, upcycling, all that is definitely going to be very prominent looking forward. The growth of secondhand fashion has sparked a greater conversation about sustainability. In January, Depop announced its goal to be carbon neutral by the end of 2021. Gabby hopes to be a part of a new wave of a more eco-friendly fashion industry by employing environmentally safe practices with her own Depop shop. I, I really stress that everything is secondhand. Just um, recently, I decided that my inventory is so big that I'm going to start pre-packaging things in like clear poly mailers. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, poly mailers and it's equivalent to using plastic bags at a grocery store. Like it, it's just as bad. So I use Eco Enclose, which is at least 
of the packaging is recyclable or used recyclable materials and it has a double strip so people can reuse it. Buying secondhand is not just more sustainable, it also gives a personal touch that traditional retail can't provide. Um, I put like notes in every single one of my packages that says like, you know, thank you for shopping sustainably by like buying from me. I, I speak to every single one of my customers individually too to thank them. I message them and some of them you know, we create conversations based off of that. Paying for college, helping the planet, and making new friends. With Depop, that's how Gabby spent her time during the pandemic. For Annenberg Media, I'm Eddie Sun. Making friends can be hard in the best of circumstances. But when online learning began, many students went back to their childhood homes and found themselves far away from their peers. That's left their socializing up in the air, to say the least. Still, students have found ways to get around the barriers between them. Casey Yamamoto has more. Alexis Dougal is new to the USC community. She's a freshman, majoring in communication. Dougal says making friends in an entirely online setting, while at home, is not easy. Of course, there's different clubs you can join and organizations and things, but since they're all virtual too, it is still hard to meet people. I don't think people I'm talking to online are going to be like the friends I make in real life, you know, because I feel like the people I hang out with in real life will like we will have met physically like together. Despite the increased difficulty of creating and maintaining relationships over Zoom, Dougal still tried her best to meet people. I definitely wanted to start making friends as soon as I started my fall semester. So I would go to all the social events and um, go to the like different events that clubs had to offer and stuff just to get myself out there and meet as many people as I could. So that was definitely a good strategy, but it's just really hard to make that authentic connection over Zoom. And it's not only freshmen who have had trouble socializing with fellow students this past year. Shang Luo Zhang is a second year graduate student. She studies animation. That's a small department. Most of the animation students got to know each other before the pandemic. But when the pandemic started, Zhang went back to China. And that made it hard to keep up her friendships. I don't talk very much with my friends in the U.S., I think. We just take the class and then after the class, we just go back to our real life. Real life is more satisfying than Zoom life. Do we all agree? That's why Zhang is waiting until the fall to try to reconnect for real with her USC friends. I would tell myself that I already know all those animation people, so it's okay, so I can take a rest, and I'll come back to the campus in person eventually, and I'll meet everyone again, and then I'll do the, like, network stuff after I came back to the, after I come back to the campus. Friends are everything, right? That's Dr. Kelly Greco. She's USC's Assistant Director of Outreach and Prevention Services, talking about the basic need for friendships. In terms of when you look at college students, where we're at, um, they're so important. And I think in terms of being isolated and not being able to see and connect or hug or physically be with each other, it is even more important. Greco says research shows that loneliness is often associated with health issues such as anxiety and depression. We thrive on connection and physical touch and connecting with others. Um, and so being social beings means that we really need to connect with others for positive mental health, for our, you know, overall health. It's been a rough year. Each of us at our own separate desks in our own separate locations, connected only by Zoom or the internet. It may be changing, we hope. USC students are supposed to return to campus for in-person learning in the fall, to be together again. For now, all we can do is try to stay healthy in every way and make the best of it. Alexis Dougal, the freshman who said she's had trouble meeting people, also says that she's learned something during this difficult year, something that she'll keep with her going forward. I'd say being on Zoom has made me more outgoing in uh, ultimately being forced to talk to a lot of people, but also enjoying that and um, I think that's a lesson I could apply even when we get back to real life, just like the importance of putting yourself out there to meet as many people as you can. And that's like a really good way to make friends, I think. While she waits for in-person classes, Dougal gets in her car at her home in Palos Verdes. She drives one hour to USC's campus. There, she walks around and thinks about all that's coming next and how real life is supposed to be. 
For Annenberg Media, I'm Casey Yamamoto. In the already overcrowded criminal justice system, COVID caused long-term delays and unsanitary conditions. Chris Lucas has a story on a man who faces a sentence of life in prison and has been waiting more than a year to be tried. Tyrone Vasquez used to live a normal life. He's 36 years old and grew up in Belize before moving to Los Angeles. Vasquez worked at an event planning company. He was part of the crew who helped with flower decorations. I used to go, then I used to get ready uh, sometimes because uh, um, I used to work in the early, early morning, like 2, two o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning time. Then, a day after Christmas in 2018, a tragedy changed his life forever. They're charging me with murder and I'm facing a um, life sentence if I do get charged. Vasquez says he was on his way to his girlfriend's home after work. He got off the bus at Vernon and Central in South L.A. Another man did too, and according to the police report, they got into a physical altercation. The other man ended up stabbed multiple times. A couple of weeks later, Vasquez turned himself in when he found out the other man died. Since then, he's been in custody at Men's Central Jail in Los Angeles. Now he's living in a small cell with three other incarcerated people. That piss water comes all the way to the door. The only reason why is because the pipes get clogged up and when people taking shower, like for example, the, the one I'm, I'm in the shower and the next person beside me, sometimes they piss in the showers and, that, and that's un, unsanitary. Vasquez is one of the many incarcerated people waiting for his hearing in the Los Angeles County Jail. That's one of the largest overpopulated jail systems. The long wait was initially because of postponements on his part to prepare for trial. But then the coronavirus hit the nation, and the justice system slowed down the process even more. While in custody and battling a pandemic, people in jail often have to deal with basic hygiene issues due to overcrowded facilities. One week, we went almost three days without taking a shower. We had to write in grievance, hey, we need our shower, we need our shower. Our body odor was, was very foul. We couldn't even stand our own body odor. But the challenge is not only because of overcrowding. L.A. County jail facilities are very old, and for people like Vasquez, struggling with diabetes, the coronavirus made the conditions hard. I think uh, inmates' rights are being violated, in a sense, by not protecting them from the pandemic as they should. Arash Hashemi is Vasquez's lawyer. Vasquez has been waiting in jail for nearly two and a half years, and Hashemi says... He couldn't believe that Tyron was wearing an old and worn-out face mask during a preliminary hearing. During this pandemic, with this huge population in, in the jail that they tried to reduce, but they're all jammed together, the least you could do is give a new mask. But Assistant Sheriff Bruce Chase from the Los Angeles Sheriff Department says it's not easy. You know, we have a very large system, so it, it's hard to maintain, you know, a perfect system 24 hours a day. He says they started providing masks to people in jail from early on and that the clogged showers were taken care of immediately, along with any other complaints. So as soon as anything's brought to our attention, we fix it. We actually uh, increased cleaning crews uh, in all the housing areas as far back as last March when we uh, became aware of, of covid According to the American Civil Liberties Union's criminal justice program, unsanitary conditions are actually violating a constitutional right under the Eighth Amendment, the right to be free from cruel and unusual punishment. But Vasquez's concern is more about how to get his life back. To be honest, I just really just want to just, I just want me to just give me back my life and just like start over from where they took from me. Because I'm a nice, honest, I'm a nice, honest guy. Vasquez had no idea what waited for him in jail. If he had known... I mean, I make the victim probably kick my ass. Beat me, beat me, beat me, beat me, beat me until he can't beat me no more. I would have never went for that. For now, he has to just keep waiting. I miss everything. I Sometimes I just cry, cry sometimes. 
I cry sometimes, but I can't. I can't fight it. Sometimes I cry. Sometimes it's it's hurting me sometimes, but I can't do nothing about this. This this place is torturing me. It's hell. It's hell to me. It's it's all hell. I'm going through hell right now. I'm as, asking God. I'm praying to God. Let me take take me out of this God forsaken place. His trial is set for June first. That may seem soon, to you and me. For Annenberg Media, I'm Krisa Lucas. You're listening to Portraits of a New Normal. I'm Ayanna White. I'm Celine Mangiola. And I'm Sam Fian. Coming up, we hear from USC students about how they've been coping with the semester. Theater artists have been stuck at home, just like everyone else. That means no in-person plays or musicals, and lots of Shakespeare being performed over Zoom. One theater company at USC decided to embrace the changes brought on by the pandemic. They produced a whole new show, and it's written especially for Zoom. Reporter Charlotte Phillip has the story. For the foreseeable future, theaters are closed. Shows are canceled, some are moved online, but many theater artists don't feel right performing shows over Zoom. Here's one artist, USC graduate student and director Marco Zappala. If we try to do a traditional theater show, it would be it would be a diet theater show. It would not have that theater quality. Enter USC's Musical Theater Repertory, or MTR for short. Zapala is working with them this semester. As one of the most well-known student-run theater companies on campus, they wanted to do something really exciting this year. But when they couldn't present their usual work on stage, the company decided to do something new over Zoom. For most theater students, not performing is simply not an option, says Zapala. What I think extends to every person involved with this project is that it is our lifeline. You know, it's not it's not even a question of what can we do. It's it's a it's a it's a matter of I have to do something. But singing into a grainy Zoom camera instead of a packed auditorium is new territory for MTR. So at first it was easier to know what they did not want to do, says MTR's co-president Sarah Campbell. And a big kind of thought was that we really didn't want to do like a Zoomsical or a musical that was written for like the stage, right? So instead, they shopped around for some plays that suited the new world of Zoom. And along came Unprecedented. Hey cutie, long time no see. Have you read the news? What news? I was listening to a murder podcast. The New York Times just wrote about it. The story follows a group of college friends, all sitting in their childhood bedrooms, dealing with the issues that came to us with the pandemic. Mental health, graduating online, and, of course, relationships. Put up your hair, taking a breath, taking a test can't be that hard. It's bizarre, don't you think? You swim or you sink based on... Director Zapala says the actors found the story and the ways it would be told over Zoom compelling. And so it just, it attracts those people that are saying yes to this opportunity, because I feel it's kind of like rise to the occasion or get lost or get lost behind it. Walking up to graduate, diploma in hand, standing near the band, granting things are going as planned. Grand kind of feeling I imagine. Now I'm Even though the cast and crew were thrilled to put on a new show like this, of course it has challenges, says Campbell. Like, I got a video last night of one of the actors recording because they had, like, a mini, like, we sent them, uh, it's just, like, foam and, like, cardboard gaff tape together and created the like, sound booths with, like, microphones and, like, pop filters. And, like, to see a video of them, like, recording in their bedroom was just insanity. And I was like, man, this is happening. Like, this is, this exists. Despite these challenges, Zapala says that the ensemble is able to thrive on the Zoom platform. What was the biggest draw for me with the project was that this had never been done before. It feels like an organic next stage of where the industry might be heading to. And especially with COVID, especially with the need to keep ourselves safe, but the fact that in times of such isolation, we are even hungrier for that connectivity. Connectivity over Zoom is not live in-person human interaction, but the show must go on. And for now, online is what we have. 
Brittany Quatch plays the lead in Unprecedented and says the cast and script completely lent themselves to this new acting format. We've we've just been acting off each other through Zoom. Um, and with the way the musical is, it's very much like a lot of FaceTiming. So um, it's not us trying to emulate like us being in the same physical space. Um, we're just trying to portray it as what it is. Like it's a lot of FaceTiming. It's a lot of people like talking through the phone, like personal struggles are happening. Unprecedented premieres online on May 6th. Shows like this that take place in a pandemic riddled world might be written and produced for a long time to come now. After all, it is something that's impacted our lives for more than a year. But for a group of college students to license, cast, tape, produce, and originate an entire show on Zoom, well, that's unprecedented. I got a feeling that I got an addiction, another prescription, I gotta fill up. For Annenberg Media, I'm Charlotte Phillip. Peeing in a cup, but this one seems much harder, like my armor's up too fast. It's like the world is falling down, I'm scared that this time it might last. I got a feeling that I need an After three semesters of Zoom University, a lot of people are ready for in-person classes to begin again. But many USC students returned to University Park before campus even opened. Annenberg Radio's Hannah Geller talked to them to find out why. Apartment buildings and houses surrounding the USC campus are currently full of USC students studying online. Sophomore journalism major Carlo Jimenez moved into the Lorenzo, an off-campus apartment building, this spring semester. I was getting like kind of depressed at home because it, it sucks being alone and I miss my friends. And also I work in the athletic department and a lot of sports were coming back. Um, and so I needed to get back to work and I decided to go back to campus. Just a few minutes away, junior film production major Trudy Buck moved into New Mansion, another off-campus apartment building in the fall. She says, And I think coming back to campus, whether we're in school or online, just is the closest thing to a normal college experience. So I think even just like living near campus and being with friends um, safely made everything feel a little bit more normal. And I feel like when I was home, I was treated like I was a freshman in high school again, and I had to leave that environment ASAP. Despite being back in a place by school, their lives are more remote than before, beyond the classroom. And now it's it's a lot more isolated. Your circle is a lot smaller, and you really have to make an effort to try to to try to meet people. Buck noticed a difference in her mental health since moving online. Well, I definitely was in a better mental state with how much I was walking to and from campus. That really helped. You know, when you're always moving and get going to class, it's easier then to sit down and do your work. Um, whereas now we're sitting down all day. Buck found it frustrating to adapt from a hands-on program to an online format. As a film production major, during her junior year, Buck was supposed to work hands-on with USC actors. You know, you've been waiting for two years to use these, these actors at your disposal to come and, and direct them and teach them, and we really didn't get to do any of that, which that was tough, too, for people who want to become directors. It was almost just like a halt in like, the learning process. Many priorities have changed since campus closed. Some students now find themselves wishing for the little things that they used to take for granted. I, I remember the day everything got shut down, I told my friends the last thing I want to do is go to class. And that was the last day I went to class. And now all I want to do is go to class. Just like Jimenez, Buck is hoping for a return to normalcy next year. I'm excited to learn in person, learn cinematography in person and not have my professors like holding Barbies up on Zoom with little lights, which it was a great way to teach cinematography, but I'm excited to be on a real sound stage and feel like I'm getting my education back. But even though they're hopeful, some students are still skeptical about campus reopening. I feel like I don't believe anything at this point. USC's Chief Health Officer, Sarah Van Orman, discussed the process of reopening campus in her April 1st briefing. I think people can see, you know, we're slowly starting to uh, reopen things here on campus. Activities are starting to, to ramp up. Um, and as we've talked about before, you know, the, the state has to move and then the county and then we as a university take those changes and think about how do we implement them. Jimenez and Buck are taking their unconventional college experience and looking forward. This time off has definitely given me a greater appreciation for um, SCA in general because it's 
made me really excited and grateful to go back. I just can't wait to like meet new people, sit down to, next to somebody and have that USC experience that I uh, envisioned when I got into the school. The possibility of schools opening in the fall can provide college students across the country with hope for the chance of a normal college experience. Hopefully students can start saying goodbye to Zoom calls and hello to their peers sitting next to them in class. For Annenberg Media, I'm Hannah Geller. The pandemic and online instruction have affected every USC student, but for 2020 spring admits, the impact has been especially challenging. Our reporter Alexis Gebhardt has more on the story. 2020 spring admit Allison Walsh was thrilled when she finally got to campus in the spring. Just so excited to finally be there and finally feel like I was really beginning my college experience. Little did she realize that only a few months later, USC would send her home. It was right before spring break. I just remember like crying every day and like being really upset because it was just starting to set in like I'm not going to go back for a long time. Another 2020 spring admit, Parth Sari Suri, says spring admits never got to experience what many students think is the best of the USC college experience. Everybody's talking about like tailgating and football season, how, how it's like the best time and everybody enjoys themselves. And I'm just like, yeah, must, must be nice. We, you know, we started off during a time when everything was normal. So we got kind of got like the gist of how I guess college life is meant to be for a couple of months and then it was kind of taken away from us in March. And I feel that's what that's what really sucks. Both Siri and Walsh felt that it was difficult to hold on to relationships since they were only on campus for two months. Siri, an international student in Dubai, especially feels this because of the time difference. Like FaceTime unfortunately is like banned here in, 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 in the UAE. So uh, I can't really, you know, just like hit up people and just like FaceTime people like, Walsh agrees. She's lived in Ohio since the start of the pandemic. She thinks that two months was not enough to build lasting relationships. While those two months were fantastic, you know, I had very nice roommates and, um, you know, I, I made some nice friends. It was difficult to make those deep connections that most people try to make their freshman year. A survey conducted by the Healthy Minds Network, a group of doctors from various universities, found that the rate of depression in college students has increased since the start of the pandemic. Walsh says USC barely supported students during normal times. I feel like spring admits don't, you know, necessarily get a ton of support when they first come in. You know, I appreciate the support that's there. But then once we went online, it felt like that sort of disappeared almost. Student Affairs told Annenberg Media that USC transitioned many of the spring admit welcome events online and hosted a three-day spring involvement fair with more than 400 registered student groups. Despite USC's efforts, some spring admits like Walsh say they feel unwelcome at USC. You know, but I've had a few people, um, you know, make comments to me before about it, you know, and treat me a little bit like I don't belong at USC, like I'm not smart enough to be there, like I didn't really earn my place. Walsh also feels that because of how the spring semester was cut so abruptly, everything feels unfinished. We were only getting like half of the freshman experience anyways, but then that in itself was halved. And I think that that really just like tore up the roots that we were trying to build at USC. Walsh is looking forward to going back to in-person learning. I'm, I'm very excited at the prospect of going back in person. It'll feel like things are less on pause. Um, I know I'm, I'm going to be a junior next year, and I feel like I'm still going to feel like a freshman. Starting over on campus for real, but she'll never get back the year that was left on pause. For Anberg Media, I'm Alexis Gebhardt. When sports shut down last March, many high school student athletes across the country struggled both mentally and physically. Ava Brand talked with one athlete about her passion to keep playing. After driving aimlessly past the turf field in a summer of virtual workouts under the Southern California sun, Foothill High School's Andy Pomeroy did not know if safety guidelines would allow her to play her senior season. I feel like I was just disappointed, I guess, but also just like, I don't know. I feel like it's so hard to put it into words, but I feel like I was just like, it didn't feel real. Pomeroy, one of the fiercest players on her team, had been dreaming of her senior night at Northrop Stadium since she was a freshman on the varsity team. 
It would be a night to celebrate her hard work the past four years and all of the success she had in her lacrosse career. Pomeroy and her coach optimistically scheduled practices beginning in September to help keep the team connected. They had to follow COVID-19 protocols, which included wearing masks and not implementing contact drills. We like did no contact drills and we're all still wearing masks. Like we couldn't even do like seven on seven, you know, on attack. The team understood that one positive case could strip away the luxury of practicing during COVID. Christina Rodriguez, Pomeroy's coach, knows the pain of having a season taken away. We did a really good job of of staying on top of all of the protocols that we had to so we could stay on the field. Um, so, you know, it's been challenging. Um, I've, I've had to revamp a lot of my uh, playbook slash practice plans to, um, to keep non-contact, you know, socially distanced drills. With these struggles in mind, Rodriguez still tried to keep a forward-looking mentality. So I was trying to keep a really positive mindset um, to keep the girls and, and parents and, you know, just the whole, our whole Foothill community in a, in a positive mindset. Even under these circumstances and still not knowing if they could officially have a season, Pomeroy was just happy to be back out on the field and practicing with her teammates. Personally, I just love the sport and the team so much that like, I was like, we were all so happy to get back on the field. I think we were all really grateful to be able to practice it all when the time finally came. The, the vibes are good. I feel like everybody is happy to be there. I think it's, it's good for my health, it's good for their health. Socially, mentally, we're just happy to be out there in, in any regards. After months of practicing with so many question marks regarding their season, the California Interscholastic Federation finally announced in February that outdoor sports could resume. I remember like we were all talking about it in our group chat, and just like being really excited about it and stuff. Heading into her senior year, Pomeroy says she is going to think about the days she spent working endlessly in practice and make sure to appreciate every moment she has left as a Foothill Knight. I really just want to have fun. Like, since we didn't get a season last year, I'm totally not going to take it for granted this time. I'm just really excited to play with the people that I've been playing with for so long again. Pomeroy's lacrosse journey won't end here, though. She will be playing Division I lacrosse for the University of Cincinnati and cannot wait to become a Bearcat. Her love for sprinting down the field and scoring goals kept Pomeroy motivated to practice in a year full of ups and downs. While waiting for confirmation that they could have a season was not fun, Pomeroy learned to value the connection she has with her teammates and to appreciate all the moments she has on the field. For Annenberg Media, I'm Ava Brand. USC officially transitioned to online learning a little more than a year ago. However, not all schools moved online. We wanted to hear from students who've been living and learning on campus during the pandemic. Emily Chung spoke with three sophomores at Furman University, a small school with a big fight song about their experiences. Like many colleges around the country, Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina sent its students home last March. Maggie Ashley was a freshman at the time, and she found it hard to live hundreds of miles from her newfound community. I did miss my friends, and cause, I mean, you spend like every waking moment with these people that live like in your dorm building, so not seeing them at all was a big adjustment. However, as the fall semester rolled around, Furman gave its students the option to return to campus. Sophomore Jackson Blackman jumped at the chance to be back in Greenville. I am definitely, definitely, definitely glad that Furman is reopened just because it has given me the ability to see some friends and to just live a little life away from home. I'm just very glad to be back. With about 2,800 students, Furman's student body is significantly smaller than USC's. Still, it's no easy feat to keep their campus safe. This semester, they've reported over 160 positive COVID tests in students and around 40 in employees. Maddie Drazen says strict testing protocols help combat the spread. Either 25% of, or 50% of the student body is tested about every week, so um, I think that's pretty effective. Maggie says extensive contact tracing also helps people stay responsible. And there is like ways to like anonymously report people if they're like going out or like, you know, they're at like large public gatherings. And so there's definitely like a, um, like a culture of like accountability here at Furman that like 
like everyone like wants to be here and so everyone is like participating and like trying to like lower the spread and like lower our contacts. Safety regulations aside, campus life at Furman has changed drastically since the start of the pandemic. Everything from extracurricular activities to daily classes look different. Jackson says the hybrid format can make it harder to learn. The biggest thing for me being a biology major was the lack of in-person labs. It's, you, it's hard to learn rudimentary techniques via Zoom rather than getting in the hands-on experience. Even simple tasks like eating meals have become more complicated. According to Maddie, the restricted dining halls have been some of the greatest challenges. You can't just go up there and toast your own bread and stuff like that. There's like a gated off area and you have to ask someone to make you like a waffle or make you a bagel um, or get you coffee. Overall, the atmosphere on campus has just been less vibrant. Being a small school, their grounds used to overflow with intramural sports, community events, and general student life. Not this year, says Maggie. Normally there's a lot of like club and like activities going on on campus and it has been a little less lively. There's been ways where our like activities board has gotten creative to make like social distance events, but it's very different. Their college experience may look different than how they originally pictured it, but all three students are extremely grateful to be back on campus. Even with the regulations, Maddie says it's all worth it to be next door to her friends again. For me, I think that one of the pros is definitely like having everyone so close to me where I can just like go upstairs and see Maggie and knock on her door um, or like text Jackson and be like, hey, do you want to get dinner? Be like a minute walk away and just to like stop in their room, say hi and like leave. Like it's just very comforting. For Maggie, these unconventional experiences have even taught her some valuable lessons. But I have learned through COVID and through um, the lack of opportunities to like engage in campus activities to like live life at a slower pace, which has been somewhat beneficial for my mental and like academic well-being. I spend more time like focusing on like my homework and studies and like focusing on myself. As USC students gear up to return to campus in the fall, she encourages us to find the silver linings in our situations. Once we're back, We'll see what our year at home has taught us about school and about ourselves. For Annenberg Media, I'm Emily Chung. And for our last story, the pandemic has redefined jazz from the sound of the music to the way it's created. Kari Spencer tells us how, under the pandemic, jazz is reshaping itself as young musicians bring it back to the main stage. That's a Thornton jazz combo playing in early 2020, before COVID shut everything down. When the pandemic brought live music to a halt, students had to quickly learn how to play together over Zoom, share audio files over Google Drive, and artificially layer each part together. Stages to share were out of the picture, everyone was in their own room now. Jordan Detij is a sophomore jazz studies student and saxophonist at USC. He misses the way playing with other musicians in the same room used to feel. When I was back in school, it was, it was always a good hang. Like you get to learn each other's play styles. You get to jam and socialize, like musically socialize. It, it was just more open to communication uh, opposed to what it is now. For established musicians in the jazz scene though, there's more at stake than nostalgia towards in-person collaboration. Without the money from gigs, performing artists have lost a large chunk of their potential earnings. Edwin Livingston is an adjunct jazz professor at USC. For years, he's been a professional double bassist, performing on tours and at jazz clubs. That all got taken away when the world went on lockdown. More than two thirds of my income is from live performance, you know, and when all that money is taken away, it's, it's traumatic and scary, you know. Livingston says he has been stressfully getting by with his teaching income, but he misses the energy and collaboration of live performance. And jazz is, is so much built upon this aspect of improvisation. You can't get that when you're trying to play via Zoom. We would get uh, energy from the audience. You know, if, if there's no one out there, I mean, who are we going to play for? Livingston used to play at the Blue Whale, an intimate jazz club here in L.A. and a favorite among musicians but it closed because of the pandemic. It was the spot where everybody wanted to play. It was like the last real jazz club in LA. Lila Ford is a singer and jazz studies student at Thornton. She really misses the Blue Whale. 
jazz clubs were already on the brink of extinction before the pandemic. And then so the pandemic really just sunk it. But just like in the past when jazz has shifted and bounced back from historical hardships, there's another change happening now. And it's happening in people's own homes. Quarantine is like the birth of the home studio, really. It's either you adapt or you get or you get left behind. That was Thornton saxophonist Jordan Tatige again. He says the pandemic has given him time to hone in and make strides on his practicing. Not to mention get better at recording and producing music too. Professor and musician Edwin Livingston says he's noticing a change in sound in a lot of his students. He thinks it's partially because of the way collaboration unfolds less organically went on virtually. In Thornton ensembles and classes specifically, musicians can no longer bounce musical ideas off of each other in the same room. It has to be more predetermined now, so you have less of that quote-unquote jazz aesthetic of improvisation. And now, with musicians isolated at home, they've got more time to make music. They've been turning to platforms like TikTok and Instagram to get their music out, and music listeners have had the time to discover their work too. It's a silver lining that Lila sees is helping out jazz as a whole. The internet has given so much visibility to a genre that was like pretty much dying. We had nowhere else to go. And so people just started creating stuff online and more people started to see it. And so it just kind of created a snowball effect. With all of the extra time, Lila released her first album, In Another Life, last January, recording the whole thing in a home studio with a handful of jazz students. I don't know if I would have a record out if it weren't for the pandemic, honestly. You know, we were all just forced to be inside in the house it would rock down i was like okay why don't we just do it for many of us music got us through quarantine for musicians it's what got them through it too and when the pandemic finally comes to a close and quarantines are a thing of the past Everyone can agree that people will flock to live music more than ever, and things might sound a bit different. Young jazz musicians like Jordan Detige attest to that. We're all in this like isolation and we've all been practicing. When we come back, it's gonna be like a whole different wave. For Annenberg Media, I'm Kari Spencer. It's gonna be a bang. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is produced by USC Annenberg Media, a student-run newsroom at the USC Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism. This episode was produced by Celine Mendiola, Sam Fian, and me, Ayana White. Our executive producers are Jeha Joshua Chang and Ayana White. Our music was produced by Sam Fian and Paulina Cherizova. This is a four-part podcast. Make sure to check out the other episodes in our series, Portraits of a New Normal. A huge thanks to our radio faculty, Tina Rubio, Edward Lifson, and Shirley Jihad. And a special shout out to our tech whiz, Sebastian Grubach. We miss them all dearly. And if all goes well, we'll be back next fall at Studio B in the Media Center, where we hope you will tune in to our award-winning show from where we are. Congrats to all the grads. Stay safe out there, y'all. For ARN, I'm Sam Fian. I'm Ayana White. And I'm Celine Mangiola. Have a great summer. <laughs>